Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Friday, the 29th of September here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, global stock markets are on course for their worst month in a year as bond yields hit decade highs. US workers prepare for missed paychecks as a deal on government funding remains elusive. And we have exclusive reporting on how London's three-decade boom has pushed black residents out of the capital. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Global stocks are on course for their worst month in a year as markets adjust to central banks, keeping interest rates higher for longer. September is likely to be the worst month of the year for the S&P 500, while stocks in Asia and Europe also look set to post their biggest quarterly decline of 2023. Aaron Gibbs, President and Chief Investment Officer at Gibbs Wealth Management, says many investors are now looking elsewhere for more reliable returns. Now, why would I take the risk of this stock that's going up and down and all over the place? when I can get a guaranteed 5% in a two-year bond. That safety, risk-off type of mentality. Investors that for decades really just wanted to be 100% equities, they didn't even want to talk about your bond allocation, not until well into retirement, are actually looking them as real value and real options. Aaron Gibbs says the equity risk premium now makes it hard to justify investing in large portions of the global stock market at the moment. Well, the equity market route comes after last week's Federal Reserve meeting appeared to finally convince the market that higher bond yields are here to stay. And the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, says that people need to appreciate what they're trying to achieve. One of our goals is to influence spending and investment decisions today and in the months ahead. That will only be the case if people understand generally what we're saying and what it means for their own finances. Jerome Powell there. He made the comments at a town hall with teachers in Washington. The bond market does seem to be hearing his lesson as yields on global government debt hit decade highs this week. The offices of the AI chip giant NVIDIA have reportedly been raided in France. According to the country's competition authority, investigators raided the offices of a business suspected of, quote, anti-competitive practices in the graphics card sector. While the statement doesn't name the company in question, the Wall Street Journal reports that it is NVIDIA. The move suggests that there is now an increased focus on the chipmaker's dominant AI role. Shares in NVIDIA have risen by close to 200% this year. US government funding cuts off at midnight tomorrow night due to the standoff in Congress. Government employees deemed essential will still be working, but they'll do so without pay. The president blamed hardline Republicans for the looming crisis. Extremists in Congress more determined to shut down the government, to burn the place down than to let the people's business be done. Bloomberg Economics says that a longer shutdown might actually help Biden's electoral chances, according to past polling models. The shutdown won't affect the Federal Reserve, but some economic data releases may be delayed. 
HSBC's Head of Public Affairs is stepping down after controversial comments about the British government's handling of its relationship with Beijing. A source tells Bloomberg that Sherrod Cowper Coles will leave the lender next month. In August, the former diplomat apologised for calling the UK weak for allowing the US to guide its business dealings with China. Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz says that a trade war with China, quote, obviously will not happen. The leader of Europe's biggest economy appeared to dismiss the EU investigation into China's electric vehicle subsidies. We are not working protectionists. We want to sell, to say, our cars in Europe, in North America, in Japan, in China, in Africa, in South America, in, in all the places. But this means that we are open to get the cars of other countries also on the market of Germany. Germany stands to be the EU country most affected in the event of a tit-for-tat tariff dispute with China. German automakers collectively sold 4.6 million cars in the Asian superpower last year. Microsoft reportedly discussing selling Bing to Apple three years ago. The deal would have made the search engine the default option on all of the iPhone makers' devices. The revelation comes as the two firms find themselves embroiled in the government's suit over Google's search dominance. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has more. Since Bing's launch in 2009 as a rival of Google, the property's never gained much traction, accounting for less than 10% of searches. Well, now Bloomberg sources say about 2020, early talks occurred between Apple and Bing, but Microsoft got into the deal to be Apple's go-to search engine on its devices. So as the Google trial goes on, the Justice Department is using this as an example of how Google unfairly dominates the search market. If that partnership is broken down by legal action, who knows what might happen? Now, those are our top stories. Look, I think it's worth lingering on the fact that it's quarter end today and uh, that we've seen just an amazing turnaround. Septembers often are a very difficult time for markets. A moment of realisation, but it seems like a really big one with Fed rates hitting a 22-year high. The 10 interest rates uh, rises that we've seen from the ECB does actually seem that bond markets have now sort of woken up to that new reality that we've been talking about on Bloomberg Radio and elsewhere for a long time. You know, the message from policy makers about higher for longer that does seem to be sinking in so stocks having yeah really quite a difficult time well they're actually yeah it's certainly been a a month of reckoning for those markets while you've been thinking about the markets caroline i've been thinking about fashion have you and uh, and look so i have to admit i didn't realize that jensen huang from nvidia always wears his black leather jacket and this has become uh, extremely apparent in during his visit to india because despite the fact that it's been very hot while he's been on this tour um, of various locations in the country, he's kept the leather jacket on. To Absolutely sort of, sweltering, A lot yeah. of people's, uh, well, it's, it's amusal, isn't, or amusement isn't really the, the question, but, but certainly it's been noted yeah. that he has managed to continuing wearing what must have been extremely uncomfortable. Well, but I think that, and this is why it has captured people's imagination, I think, because it has become, I think it is getting to be close to as iconic as the kind of black turtleneck, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's mm. hoodie, hoodie t-shirts, etc. It does look like um, he's wanting to project at least an image of, you know, tech tycoon. He seems to, it's also not the same leather jacket. It is a different leather <laughs> jacket every every time. It's this is visions of like opening of the wardrobe to like yeah. 20 of the same thing on well, the Well, he wears rail. a black t-shirt and black trousers yeah, yeah. as well. No, it does definitely seem that he wants 
wants to channel something. I mean, there have been lots of articles about it, written about, okay. you know, it's a little bit like the, the Anna Wintour Bob. You know, it's mm. a very stark image. And in a kind of image-driven world, actually, there are some advantages to a CEO having, speaking the language of fashion, which we sometimes um, discuss. Yeah. It's a uniform. It's quite powerful. It also says something, doesn't it? Maybe it hints to Hollywood, the open road, speed, well, creativity. The, le- the leather jacket's pretty, pretty iconic, I think. Yeah. And, and I, I think the idea that, you know, someone who, if you don't have to be a sort of a um, fashion icon to be wearing as the tech tech CEOs can can make their fashion statements there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, nice piece on the terminal uh, all about, well, CEOs and, uh, yeah. And, what, the, what they wear. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Let's, let's get back to safer territory on the markets now. Global stocks on course for their worst month since last September. Central bank decisions around the world consolidating the view that rates will stay higher for longer. Bond markets, meanwhile, look like they're having their worst month since February. Treasury, treasury yields hovering close to six 16-year highs. Our market supporter, Valerie Titel, is with us in studio for more on this. Valerie, how should we be thinking about what we've seen on the markets in September? Is it the moment that all of a sudden everyone woke up and said, oh, now I get it. Higher for longer. (laughs) Uh, Look, Stephen, you can put it that way, uh, but they're really, the funny thing is here, and this is what worries markets so much, is there really wasn't a catalyst for this massive treasury sell-off that we've seen. And it has uh, been massive. We've seen a 50 basis point rise in the 10-year yield and in the 30-year yield, which normally never happens at this point of the cycle or or ever that we see this 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 kind of uh, steepening move in the Treasury curve. That's what is really worrying markets. A lot of chat out there that it's due to the fact that the U.S. economy is still strong. Uh, the U.S. government is still spending a lot of money, meaning they'll be issuing a lot of Treasuries. So supply and demand does play into this, as well as the fact that the U.S. economy, I mean, globally, is still the standout as to how well it is, it is holding up to all these rates rises from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, absolutely. It's also that German Japanese yields are following uh, the same path. Is the economic data fitting into all of this? The funny thing is, Caroline, is that we have had some economic data, but none of it has really been a surprise over this this last month, right? It, 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 it This move in treasuries has not been spurred by a big upside surprise in GDP. That That's not what's really spurred it. And I think that is, again, what the worrying thing is here. What is driving this treasury? move because it is not only having an issue on uh, U.S. assets with uh, the U.S. stocks having the worst month uh, since September, but then globally we're seeing JGBs attempt the uh, Bank of Japan to to buy um, more to defend their yield curve control. We're seeing what happened in the U.K. yesterday. U.K. yields uh, spiked 20 basis points uh, yesterday on on no new news just because of this jitters around Mm -hmm. this Treasury move. And German yields as well uh, uh, climbed 15 basis points intraday session yesterday on on little news, just this jitters around why are these Treasury yields moving higher and what is going to stop them? They're continuing uh, this morning, uh, their truck higher. Yeah, this this latest step from the Bank of Japan, wor- worth noting because it's only it's only happened uh, in the past few hours. What, what more can you tell us about what the Bank of Japan has been doing? So they... Um, the last time they intervened, the, the 10-year yield, which is which is where their intervention is focused on, the 10-year yield was around 65 basis points. They came in and intervened when the 10-year yield hit 77 basis points. But it wasn't a big market move overnight. We thought before that maybe their trigger for intervention was a five basis point rise intraday. That didn't necessarily happen today. Uh, but perhaps they're just uh, uh, seeing what's happening in the Treasury market and really want to cap the rise of these Japan yields 
yields because yesterday, you know, 10 year yields uh, broke through 75 basis points for the first time in over a decade. Mm. We hit a new high in 20 year bond yields mm. yesterday and overnight tonight we had a new high in 30 year bonds. So perhaps that pressure from the Treasury market just tempting uh, the Bank of Japan uh, to uh, intervene in the market to keep uh, to keep yields anchored. OK, Valerie, thank you so much for being with us, taking us through the market stories this morning. Our markets reporter, Valerie Titel. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I want to take you back to the UK for the next story. For the first time in at least 30 years, less than half of England's black residents live in London as the city's affordability uh, crisis when it comes to housing has hit uh, crisis levels. Let's speak to our equality reporter, Olivia Hulu for more on this story. Olivia, good morning to you. Where are some of the places the black population is growing outside of London? So it varies. Sometimes it's places where it's cheaper, so, um, such as cities in the north like Manchester. And then sometimes it's places around London. So um, we found areas like Thurrock and Dartford and um, towns like Milton Keynes, where there's all kind of an OK commute to London. Those are all areas where we found that um, the proportion of black people are growing. What's happening to black communities inside London? Some of the reasons for all of these changes? So it depends a bit whether you're looking at central London or outer London. When it comes to the core, um, when, and when you look at some of the kind of historically black neighbourhoods like Brixton and Peckham, what we're finding is that the share of black people um, has been going down overall because basically the overall number has been growing more slowly than um, the overall number, if that makes sense. But then on the outskirts, basically, it's quite a straightforward story where um, in at least kind of three outer London boroughs, the number has grown quite sharply. Yeah, looking at the figures that you have in this story, um, and it's a great read on on Bloomberg.com and on the terminal as well. I mean, black Londoners that declined 19 percentage points in in 20 years, they're fairly stark figures. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a relatively kind of consistent decrease over time. But it is quite striking that, yes, for the first time, more than half of people live outside of London when I think um, for years not just the conception, but the perception, but it has been true that kind of the majority of black people did live in the capital. So it's kind of a shift in what it means to be black and British. Hmm. What did the people that you spoke to say about why they're moving and, and the places that they want to go to? Well, a lot of them talked about this English dream of having a house in a quiet neighbourhood with kind of enough space that they could properly raise a family. And then pretty much all of them said that none of that is it would just be impossible to afford that where they lived um, when they lived in central London in somewhere like Brixton, which is kind of where we spoke to one family. 
So, um, yeah, it was very consistent where people said it was just they couldn't afford the lifestyle that they would want to give their family in the capital. Did did many of them see disadvantages to moving out of London or, or what was the sort of balance of when they were talked about the, the pluses and minuses of moving out of the capital? I think it does vary in how much choice they had in the matter. So for some people, they felt that they just really had no choice in order to make ends meet, but to move outside of London. And then there they really kind of felt it because you're losing access to friends and family quite often and kind of a social community and having to start somewhere else. But for other people, that it was a plus in that, like, as I was saying, they kind of had a better standard of life than London itself was able to offer. So when in Manchester in particular was kind of delighted at the quality of life that he was able to afford in Manchester compared to London. So um, there was a mix, I would say. I mean, the impact also on the capital, though, is significant, you know, of not being able to keep uh, black communities within the city because of affordability and other reasons. That's a big issue, surely, in, you know, Britain's supposedly levelling up agenda. Yeah, you would think because um, part of London's appeal and attraction just to outsiders is the fact that it's meant to be this kind of, um, it's a cliche, but a melting pot, a place where anyone can live and be. And that is increasingly becoming not the case. And so, yeah, so London, so black people are crucial to the economy in lots and lots and lots of different ways, like the proportion of health workers, just um, um, and how it contributes to the community and, um, and just like loads of different ways. And if that proportion is shrinking, then it does raise the question of how the city will look like in, say, 10 years. Olivia, it's a fascinating read, How London Lost Its Place at the Heart of Black Britain. You'll find it on the Bloomberg website and on the terminal. That's our quality reporter, Olivia Conate Ahulu. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.